The reading is taken from Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. That's on page 1172 in the Bibles. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, we, uh, we continue today uh, with the talk looking at the Holy Spirit. That's been the series over the last few weeks. And um, today we're looking at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as Paul terms it, verse 22. That's how the Holy Spirit uh, can be evidenced or seen in someone's life. So before we do that, uh, let's pray together for a moment. Dear Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth, that will enable us to understand and uh, to learn as we look again at this passage. Amen. Um, you may find it helpful to uh, have the passage open if you have a Bible uh, at hand. It's page 1172, and uh, we are looking at Galatians 5, uh, reading from six to, uh, sorry, verse 16. I don't know how you are with trees, um, that is, identifying them, not uh, climbing them or hugging them, whatever you do. Um, I, I think I could recognise an oak, you know, with a leaf, and maybe a willow, uh, holly, quite easy, isn't it? But, uh, but about after that, I begin to struggle uh, with identifying trees. I, like, I wouldn't know what an apple leaf looked like, but if the tree had an apple hanging from it, I might have a better chance. You can tell what a tree is like by the fruit that it uh, produces. You can tell what it's, you can identify it. So it is with someone who professes to be a Christian. Jesus said, by their fruits 
you shall know them. But first, before we look at those fruits, uh, we need really to put this passage in its context. I don't know whether you noticed, but it starts with, so I say. Uh, so as Paul, Paul is writing to the church in the province of Galatia, and, uh, which is a church which he was instrumental in starting up. Uh, but just before uh, the passage which we had read, he has been addressing two issues that have come up. These Christians, they have experienced what it is to be set free uh, by faith in Christ. No longer slaves to the wrong that they do and the weight of guilt that brings, uh, but free. Nor are they continually condemned by their own failure to keep the law which they once thought would save them. But faith in Christ has meant that they've been set free. But this freedom now is under threat, under attack. For some are saying to them that, uh, dragging them back, saying that what matters is keeping the law. And so they've been taken back into slavery. What they're saying is, okay, you received Christ, but you've got to keep all the laws, you've got to follow the law in order to be saved. Others are saying the exact opposite, really. It's an exact opposite error. That this freedom gives them license to do whatever they like. If it is that your sins are forgiven through Christ, it's nothing to do with what you've done, then it doesn't matter what you do. You can do anything you like. We're forgiven, aren't we? So it reminds me of that uh, quote by Martin Luther about the error in people, that a man falls off a horse one side only to climb back on and fall off the other side. So Paul counters this in uh, verse 6 of chapter 5, the second part of it, by saying, the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Then in 13, he expounds that. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbour as yourself. So as Christians, they, we, are free, but the liberty that we have expresses itself in self-control, in loving service to others and in obedience to the law of God. So what comes then in this passage is how exactly that works, how you do that. Uh, the answer is, how you do it, is by the Holy Spirit. So I say live by the Spirit. But let's uh, look at how that works. So the first thing we need to... Uh, get a hold of, is we need to get a little real with ourselves. We need to understand that there is a conflict going on within us. If you look at verse 17, it says, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. The battle between good and evil is not primarily something we observe outside of ourselves, that we witness in other people. The battle rages within ourselves. Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, the battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man, every person. I see in people a desire to do good, to be kinder, more unselfish, more self-controlled, but against that, there is what Paul calls a sinful nature which pulls us 
in an entirely different direction. There is a conflict. But of course, Paul here is writing to Christians when he talks about a conflict within us. Now that might come as a surprise to you uh, if you imagine that becoming a Christian and receiving the Holy Spirit, which is the third person of God within the Trinity, if you have God living within you, then you might think that logic dictates that puts an end to the conflict. But Paul writes, and I think our experience tells us that that's not the case. We are not robots when we receive the Holy Spirit. We still make decisions. In fact, you could argue that the conflict then intensifies because now you have a nature that you have been given, that you've received, which is opposed to the nature that you had previously. So Paul looks, uh, so as Paul says, we look at this, there are two natures and he speaks about what the fruits of those two natures are. So first, the acts of the sinful nature, verses nine, sorry, verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, he says. And I think they are obvious. We know what this part of us looks like only too well. We certainly know what it looks like in other people. But this is not an important... Uh, this is not a random list. It's important to understand that. Uh, it's not like a list of, let's make a, a list of bad things that naughty people get up to so we can have a go at them. That's not what it is. It is a description of a nature that is within, within all of us, what we are all capable of being drawn into. And it covers four areas of the human experience. The first of those is sex. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery. And how the sinful nature has a field day with this act of love, this powerful desire, how it corrupts and perverts it, bringing impurity, indecency. Down through history, that has been the case since Paul time right to the present day when the prevailing problem with the internet is the corruption of sex. Richard Huckle was convicted just a few days ago of 71 charges of sexual abuse against children in Malaysia. He, uh, he'd set up um, a website or a, a part of a website on what's called the dark web. And uh, he'd put all sorts of material on there, including a, a document about how to go about what he was doing which the old Bailey judge called truly evil document. But the thing which really um, scared me, really, was that that site was accessed by tens of thousands of people. It's a scary business. Religion is the next thing that Paul picks up. Idolatry and witchcraft. I suppose old-fashioned words, but have you noticed how easily people are drawn into an unhealthy concentration on evil as opposed to good. It holds somehow a fascination for people. Idolatry is just simply the worship of just about anything but God. G.K. Chesterton once wrote, if you take away believing God, it's not that people believe in nothing, it's that they will believe in anything. 
The third one is society, which is a longer list. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy. This is a list of what breaks down relationships between people, breaks down love and trust between people, makes a mess of families. And then thirdly, um, what I've termed self-control, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Now, what a deadly combination if you have this list of, uh, of passions and that's um, within itself and then you add to it a lack of any self-control. My wife and I uh, took a holiday recently in Benidorm, which has a bit of a bad reputation. That's not why we went there, but... Um, <laughs> Um, but we did have a, look, a nice time. It's, it's, uh, it's quite a nice place. So it is a bit like Crown Heights by the sea. Um, it's just tower blocks all the way along the beach. Um, but we did have a good time. But we did run into a couple of uh, uh, groups of lads who, were at the, who came to the hotel. And uh, they're best described as people who are completely out of control. They, um, they were by the pool uh, with their antics and... Uh, Swearing, they drove families and children away. Um, the, the, the hotel had to close the bar at one stage to try and control it. The, it. They wake you up three or four in the morning, shouting, swearing, singing, banging doors. They were just out of control. I guess you could have uh, challenged them if you'd been brave enough, uh, but they would have probably said they were just having a laugh. But basically, they just didn't care. Now, it's very easy to point uh, to others and say that's, that's a sinful nature, but the truth is, what we're right, reading here, is that the root of, within, of, of all of that is within each of us. That's the problem. It's in conflict with any good that we might intend. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is... Now, again, this is uh, not just a random list nor a list of what goody-two-shoes do-gooders get up to. Not quite sure what shoes have got to do with it, but uh, you get my point. And when you look at this list of traits, though, it's a list of things you know, like love and peace, joy, patience, kindness. It's a list of things you'd love to see in other people, do love to see in other people. And you would love to imagine that other people see these things in you too. And it's not uh, just random, which I'll explain in a minute, but nor is it, incidentally, a, a list of qualities confined to people who are Christians. I know plenty of people who would not profess to be Christians who have shown great kindness to me, patience, self-control. And if you think about it, our faith teaches us that that is what you should expect. If we believe that everyone is made in God's image, then you would expect to see these qualities in all people to some degree or other. But you would also expect, particularly, to see these things within people who claim to be Christians, who have received the Holy Spirit. You would expect to see love, joy and peace. 
I was a teenager in the 60s when people spoke a lot about love and peace, but they somehow just never had the power. They didn't know how to get there. They knew what they wanted, but they couldn't do it. Love, joy, and peace speaks about the attitude to God because it comes from a relationship with him. They are things which you get from knowing him. You are given them. They are his nature. He is love. From that then flows your attitude to other people, patience, kindness, and gentleness. And finally, what is within yourself, that is faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul writes, there is no law against such things, because law is to restrain people. This fruit doesn't need restraining. When I decided to commit, commit my life to this faith, to Jesus, what finally clinched it for me were these qualities. Not just that I saw them in Christians, but that I saw that this is what Christians stood for. So this is where I decided to make my stand. So then, a summary of where we got so far. We have this conflict within us, and the result is, verse 17, you do not do what you want. Uh, that's a little ambiguous, perhaps, so we can look at Romans 7, where Paul puts it a little clearer. Verse 18 of 7. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. So what are we saying then, that, uh, that the, Christians are, uh, the Christian life is one long continuous experience of defeat? Is that what Paul is saying? Now I was reflecting as I thought on that, that, um, that Christians are often depicted a bit like that in films and plays and so on. Nearly always portrayed as racked by doubts, disillusioned, unable to understand what they believe, and no more likely or able to exhibit these fruits than anyone else. But that's not my experience of Christians, nor, I believe, what history teaches us. Christians have made immense impacts on things by the faith that they have. And my experience is the fruits listed here are what I see predominantly in Christians. Not exclusively, but predominantly. And the reason is, as Paul goes on to say here and in Romans, they live by the Spirit, verse 16. So as I conclude, I want to talk about three things, but here is a hint about how this works. This is um, a story told by George Bernard Shaw. A Native American elder once described his own inner struggles in this manner. Inside of me there are two dogs. One of the dogs is mean and evil. The other dog is good. The mean dog fights with the good dog all the time. When asked which dog wins, he reflected for a moment and replied, the one I feed most. There is a lot of wisdom in that. And uh, our approach, in fact, is very similar. But for a Christian, of course, it's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. So then, first of all, let's re read verse 24. 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now that might seem to you like very strong language. It is very strong language. Crucify the sinful nature. But I guess it depends how serious you are about it. We are to take our self-centred nature with its all its, its passions and its desires and nail it, as if it were, to the cross. We are done with that way. As Jesus says, Luke 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That must be the attitude we renew each day. John Stock puts this a lot better than I can in his commentary, so I'm going to read you just a bit of that. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we are going to give in to it or not. We have declared war on it. We are not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. We have crucified the sinful nature. We are never going to draw the nails. And instead, we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. We are not possessed by the Holy Spirit as if we didn't then or aren't able to decide things for ourselves. We are guided by the Holy Spirit, given the power within us to change. The verb led is is as a shepherd leading a sheep or as a farmer herding cattle. But the uh, metaphor I like best is it's like the wind driving a ship. You cooperate with the wind, unfurl the sail, and the wind then drives you forward so that you make progress. He puts this gentle pressure upon us, leads us into goodness, powers us in the right direction, leads us to want to come and meet with believers, want to worship and honour God, want to encourage and be encouraged to do good deeds, to meditate on scripture, to exhibit these fruits. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit. But then we are to walk in the Spirit. In verse 25, it says, puts it as keep in step. If to be led is passive, this is the active, the action. And in this case, the word used is like one walking in line or in the footsteps of. Keeping in step, like within a dance, we follow the steps. I like the uh, phrase also that we are to cultivate, cultivate these fruits within our life. Douglas Adams, who uh, wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if you know that work, um, was coined some very uh, amusing and wacky lines, but also some very profound lines, and this is one of those. The quality of advice anybody has to offer has to be judged against the quality of life they actually lead. How do we shape up to that? It's a daunting task for Christians, but then we have a great resource, a great power within us 
to enable us, able to do far more than we may imagine. So just as we are to repudiate what we know to be wrong, so we are to follow what we know to be right. We are to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Our task is to take time each day to remember these truths and live accordingly. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that by the strength and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we may uh, follow and exhibit these fruits to your praise and glory. Amen.